Before we begin the show, we wanted to take a moment to thank you all for all of your support in the last week. We really appreciate the likes, the shares, the comments, and the feedback that you've given us. We love this community, and we are overwhelmed with all the love you've shown us since we've launched this podcast. And we love hearing from you. If you enjoy the show, please take a moment to rate us and leave a review on iTunes, and you can post a review on our Facebook page. Thanks again. And now, on with the show. Welcome to The Naked Truth, real talk about West Coast Swing. My name is Eric Jacobson. And I'm Deborah Seike. And today we are joined by a very special guest. Eight-time U.S. Open Swing Dance Champion in five divisions. Six-time World Country Dance Champion. California Swing Dance Hall of Famer. UCWDC Dance Hall of Famer. National Living Legend. Performed in the Broadway show Swing. He's also the voice of the U.S. Open Swing Dance Championships and many other events on the circuit. The man, the myth, the legend. Please welcome Robert Royston. Yay! Hi, Robert. Yeah. <laughs> welcome. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, can, I, can I do my own? <sighs> yes. <laughs> well, I'll applaud the mic. Yes, so welcome. Like Thank you so much for being here. No problem. I, I, I want to start off by saying you both are two very special people to me, so I'm so excited you're both doing this. And um, I love that you're doing this, so I'm super excited to be a part of it. Oh, my God. You're just saying that because it's true. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm going to get right to it, Robert. So how did you start doing West Coast Swing, Robert? You know, my my canned standard answer is the same answer as lots of people. Like, I got into dancing because because of girls. Like, why lots of guys say that they got into dancing. So... um, Specifically West Coast Swing, I should say, though. Um, I was dancing East Coast Swing um, in 1985. I started dancing, so 33 years ago. And East Coast Swing was kind of the first couples dance I really learned. And back then in country dancing, you did, it was just a swing division. So uh, when you were in Northern California, they danced really fast music. And if you were in Southern California, they danced really slow music. And it was just called swing. So whatever style of swing you did, you competed against all the other styles. So if we competed against people, you know, in Northern California, we would always win with East Coast Swing. But, you know, then we'd compete down in Southern California <laughs> and we would do East Coast Swings, you know, 100 130 beats per minute, which is really slow for East Coast Swing. <laughs> and, you know, you wouldn't always do so good. And But there was like this uh, rivalry between Northern California and the country world and Southern California back then. And, uh, and the rivalry kind of stemmed in the East Coast and West Coast Swing Division, uh, um, you know, who was going to do what. And, uh, but slowly but surely by the late 80s, um, West Coast Swing was becoming more and more of a popular uh, social dance. So more people were doing West Coast Swing socially than they were doing East Coast Swing. So me and my first partner, Tammy Ernst, like we really hung in there with doing East Coast Swing, but Everybody was socially doing West Coast Swing. So I thought, well, I guess eventually I have to learn this. So I think it was 87. It was late 87. And uh, Carrie Lucas was teaching a workshop at this place called the South 40. And it was um, on Sundays. Teenagers could go. And you could also go on Saturday afternoons um, uh, if there were workshops. So we went. And I just signed up for the beginning West Coast Swing class. And uh, she asked me if I wanted to stay. And I said, I did. She came up to me and she said, hey, you're really good. Would you like to stay? And I said, I didn't pay for everything. And she said, well, I'll scholarship you in. And she let me take the rest of the day for free. 
which was really great. And, um, uh, and I kind of got hooked and then went dancing that night. We couldn't stay at the bar because the bar was over 21. So we went to this other place, um, on the other side of the bay and we danced West Coast Swing. And, uh, this is so, um, over more on the San Francisco Bay side. So, and, um, danced West Coast Swing all night, the three moves, four moves that I learned that day. And then I started going to Top of Beardsley's on Wednesdays because I went, well, okay. All the girls like the social dance with all the boys who do West Coast Swing, and I should stop fighting this fight for East Coast Swing, <laughs> and uh, and finally give in. So I did, and um, uh, and then I just got hooked, like everybody else. You know, it's a drug, and um, and then by the by the late eighties, early nineties, and uh, by like eighty nine and ninety, uh, Tammy and I were still competing doing East Coast Swing, but we were doing lots of social West Coast Swing, and um, uh, we started getting the VHS cassette tapes of like, you know, the US Open and stuff like that. And then, um, met Mario, um, and, um, a bunch of other, a bunch of other swing pros, but, um, uh, met Mario and a bunch of people in, uh, 90, um, at, uh, where were we? In 1990. Albuquerque, New Mexico. And, you know, uh, he was 22 and I was 20 and I thought he was super cool. And, it was like, you guys should really dance in the swing world. And Tammy and I never did, but we started to get lots of video cassettes of the swing uh, world. And I have to say, I should back up a little bit too. Like, I started teaching dance um, because of a West Coast swing kind of country guru named Phil Adams. And he was the one who really, like, showed me um, in, in 1990 that I could do this for a living. And, um, but he also said, you should focus more on your West Coast swing. <laughs> so that, that kind of got me started down the road. And then Beardsley's every Wednesday and people like Michelle Kincaid and Kelly Casanova and that whole Northern California community, Bill Trow and Ed Serio, like really, um, were really instrumental for me. Um, and from like basically 87 to like 91. Can you talk a little more about how? either Phil Adams or these other names that you mentioned, how they influenced you? Well, still, it was interesting. So I wasn't 21 yet. I was, uh, I guess I was 20 at the time. So, um, well, let me say this. So my first coach was a guy named Dave West, because I do like to give, I love to give credit where credit's due. So my first coach was a guy named Dave West, and um, he's super great. We're still friends to this day. And he walked up to me at this place called Swiss Park, where I learned to dance. Uh, a lot of my dances. This was Park was in Fremont, California. And Charlotte Skeeter and, uh, uh, it was Neil and Charlotte and Janine. They were all teachers there. And, uh, this first time I ever saw like a West Coast Swing demo was by a guy named Jack Berard who danced with, uh, Michelle Adams. And, um, uh, this was all in the late 80s. And, uh, so Phil Adams was teaching a workshop for a guy named George Saddle. And, uh, it got to the point where people had to, like, if you weren't 21, you had to leave. And, um, Phil was tired. And I volunteered to drive him back to his hotel because he needed to ride back to his hotel. And I was like, Oh, I get to drive, you know, the great Phil Adams back to his hotel. So, uh, I drove him back to his hotel and, um, uh, and he was really good friends with my coach at that time who was a guy named Dave Getty. And so David introduced me to Phil. So I was driving him back and he goes, Hey, I'm really hungry. Are you hungry? I said, yeah. And he goes, you want to pull over to this Denny's? So I pulled over to this Denny's on North First Street in San Jose. 
And we, we, he was like, I wrote things down on a napkin. I wish I still had that napkin, but he basically showed me how to start my business. He said, go to community centers, um, put out flyers, go to any studio, go to like a jazz tap ballet studio, tell them that you'll do things at the studio. You'll like, you know, you'll clean the bathrooms. You'll do whatever for free space to start a group class and then put out flyers at community centers and, and, and put flyers out on, on, you know, uh, people's on like, uh, you know, windshields of cars and, and, um, grocery store parking lots and just started. He was like, I think you can really do this. And I wrote down like 10, 10 things that he said, you know, I should do to, um, start my dance business. And, uh, and we even got up and like danced in, <laughs> in the Denny's. Uh, and so we did it for hours and, and he kind of talked to me about the type of money I could make and, um, it was great. It was really amazing. And so, you know, I had lots of, I had lots of dance coaches in my life. Um, uh, and, uh, but Phil was the one who was like, first, like, you should do this for a living. And it was that one night, you know, at Denny's, um, where he said, and so I went home like the next day basically and told my mom I was going to drop out of college and <laughs> do this for a living. <laughs> and how did she take that? <laughs> well, she, her exact words to me were, how long are your credits good for? I said two years. She said, well, she, she said, well, then you have two years to make this work. Um, so I was like, all right. Yeah, my mom was great. She always said to me, if you're honest about your abilities, because you have to start there, and then you're willing to do the work, there's nothing you can't do. People fail because they're not honest about their abilities, or people fail because they're not willing to do the work. And you know, I've always awesome. found that to be, she's super, she's amazing. Well, you've met her before, Deborah. She's incredible and she uh yeah she really was she was behind me she backed me 100 percent. she was like all right so um, that's awesome yeah but so like my chain of like you know coaches back then it started with dave west and then it went to dave getty and you know i i I took the one workshop from from carrie and then i took a lot of classes uh wednesday night um i took six months of the beginning class at uh top of beardsley's uh and stayed all the way through to the advanced class, but, um, but took the beginning class for six months, didn't miss a single beginning class, even though I was really coming for the advanced class because I wanted to really, really own my basic. Um, so I did, you know, and so like I did Ed, I did Ed's class and then I jumped into Phil's class. Uh, and then I would take any workshop in the area taught by anybody, you know, um, and then from, uh, from Dave Getty, uh, when I, I found, uh, California Dance Center. And uh, he was teaching privates there, and I met this woman named Jeffrey Lynn, and she's a, a movement specialist. Most people see her as a ballroom coach, but she's really like a movement specialist. And through Jeffrey Lynn, I found Tommy Newby, and then a gentleman named Tom Slater, and that was kind of like my my. And uh, Mario was a huge influence back then, and so uh, Barry Duran, like the list kind of goes on and on of, of people that were giant influences in me from like '85 to you know probably '94, '95. Yeah. Who were the people that you admired? Like, who were the greats back then that you were like, I want to dance like them? Well, if we're talking specifically about what's the swings, I'll focus try to, because it's hard because like, Lorena and I jumped in and out of so many different dance worlds because, you know, in my long list, Deborah didn't mention any of my hustle awards. I'm so upset with you, Deborah. But, um, oh my God, really? <laughs> I was going to. I'm so sorry. I'm totally, I'm totally <laughs> kidding. I'm totally kidding. <laughs> so, um, so, 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 um, so if I focus just on West Coast Swing, like, um, you know, my, my first idols, 
were kind of the country dancers, right? So it was like, I mean, Phil was in the West Coast swing world and in the um, country world. And there was a guy named George Shaddle and he danced uh, with his wife at the time, Debbie. Uh, now she's Debbie Edgen. Uh, you'll see her all on Facebook. And she taught me like how to rag doll. <laughs> and um, so, and there was this group called F Troop and it was uh, Phil and Linda Adams and um, uh, Scott Lindbergh uh, and Cheryl Wang at the time. And Barry Duran and Don Blorstad is now Don Garish. And, um, uh, and, uh, Chris, uh, Chris Jones and Leslie Jones. They were Chris and Leslie Jones, but they weren't married. They were just dance partners who happened to have the same last name. And, um, and so they were F Troop. And Mark Simpkins was on and off of it occasionally. And they would do West Coast Swing demos at country events. So they were kind of my first, like, oh my God, this is, you know, amazing. Most people don't know about F Troop and don't know what it was, but it was really influential. And then occasionally people would pop in like Mario or whatever with the F Troop. And then once, uh, once, uh, in 1991, I started dating this girl named Lorene Baldovi. You might have heard of her. Um, so like once that started to happen, um, uh, we actually hung out on my 21st birthday. That was kind of the start of it all. <laughs> and, um, then we, I started getting lots of video cassettes. And then, you know, I got to see, you know, Carlito and Barry Jones and Kenny Wetzel and, and, uh, uh, Ramiro Gonzalez and, you know, just like, uh, just these amazing, incredible dancers and Randy Albers and, um, and Wayne Bott. And uh, I was just like, this is crazy. And I knew Chris Jones from the country world. So I felt like, ah, oh, there's that guy, Chris. And he's so nice to me every time I talk to him. Um, so, uh, I started, we started buying like these Nifty Nine cassettes and like any video cassette we could we could get our hands on um so I, i'll say this my my primary source of like influence when it came to the west coast swing world not necessarily as instructors but like how i wanted to be in the dance world i uh ricardo cortez at the time was a gentleman who was a big influence on me and he said pick some of pick some of the people you really really like and try to find the best attributes from them so i was a little like if i could become the choreographer um, with the hook that like Barry Duran is, but I can have like the performance value of Barry Jones and I could have the technical prowess of Mario Robau, like the lead prowess of Mario Robau, like that would be like the perfect hybrid. And I felt like as I was watching, I was like, ah, oh, there's this other guy out there who, who's kind of in the same vein as me, who sees the, that there should be a hybrid. His name's Robert Cordoba and he like, he's kind of already like, <laughs> What'd you say? Yeah, who's that guy? It's just like Lorene Baldovi. Yeah. I don't know who that person is either. Right, like, exactly. So the, Come on, so now, the, people. The, the, right. So the so like I saw Robert kind of heading towards that 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 hybrid, you know. So I was like, oh wow, you know, and and um uh so that's kind of what I tried to focus on. I I tried to like go, okay, you know, what were the best attributes, you know, um that I could possibly do. And for a while, I was I was being a little too like. Like sometimes I would be, I would be being like too much like Barry Duran or I'd be too much like Barry Jones or I would be too much like Mario Rabal. Um, I was talking to Charlotte Bott this weekend and she said to me, uh, oh, I remember, you know, back at the first Capitol and everything else. I said, yeah, I remember too. So I remember that I did this. I was dancing in front of you and uh, we finished, I finished dancing and I walked over to sit down next to you and you said, oh, you have that little Mario wiggle thing going on. And I remember in that moment, in that second thing, it was such a compliment, you know, and then you said, yeah, yeah, you shouldn't do that. 
<laughs> that, was, that was the next thing out of her mouth. And, and I, went, I went, what? And she goes, she goes, yeah, you need to be you. She goes, I get, I get you wanting to idolize these people and you should learn from them, but then you should also learn to be you. And she goes, cause that little wiggle thing is Mario's, not yours. And I was like, oh, got it. Right. 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 Um, so yeah, like all those people, you know, obviously, you know, uh, Wayne and Kenny and like, that whole Carlito, that whole press box, you know, when Lorena and I would start to go down to LA in the early nineties, like 92, 93, and we'd go down to the press box and it was just, it was crazy. Like seeing, you know, um, just seeing these people dance, getting to see Jack and Andy dance all the time. And, and this is like, I mean, so we're going back to, you know, 1992, 93, that was a really long time ago. And, um, and, and everybody Let me dancing there. Back to you for a second. Because this is really important because you've mentioned so many greats, amazing people who've influenced this dance and, 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 and lots of people. Um, so I, I want to know how do, what, what do you think the differences are between how the dance was then and how the dance scene was then from how the dance is now and how the dance scene is now? Wow. How long is the podcast? um yeah and listen for the record i'm forgetting people like and so i I always i'm always always cautious well i'm just saying i'm always cautious of like when you start to name names um you're gonna forget people and and, well and i don't want to hurt anybody's feelings but like there are so many people so many amazing incredible dancers from that time that influenced me so greatly and and um so I hope that they just know who they are. And if their name didn't just get mentioned, I hope they understand, you know, who and what they meant to me. Because I, I really, uh, I, uh, there was, it wasn't like there was three or four people. There was, you know, 10, 20, you know, people Maybe that, more. that helped yeah, shape, to, yeah, sure. that, that helped shape who I, who I became as a dancer. And, um, so anyway, so I, I just say that because ugh, it's always so hard when you start to name names. Um, but the thing, a couple, there's a couple, let me just point out, there's too much to really talk about, but there are a few very specific differences in how the dance world acts today as opposed to how we acted back then, um, mm-hmm. that influenced us as dancers. And I'm, th- this is in no particular order, but like one of the things that would happen, um, back in the day, it's like Lorena and I would go to the press box in like 92. So we hadn't competed at the open yet. And, you know, we were just like these starving young kids that wanted to, you know, uh, learn. And so, uh, we watched, we watched, now we watched them social dance. Like I would, in the moments that those late at night moments when the pros were all dancing with each other, uh, uh, I sat and watched. And when people asked me to dance, like other dancers, not the pros, but like other, you know, people like me, the mere mortals. Um, I would say no, because I just wanted to watch. And I also wouldn't dare interrupt that energy by asking like Charlotte or Marianne to dance. Not that they would have said no, they probably would have said yes, but like, I just wanted to watch. I wanted to watch the greatness happen, like late at night, the social dancing and, and watch what they did at two in the morning with each other on the dance floor in the back corner. Um, and, uh, and then I would, Lorene and I, or the other mortals, we would go try it ourselves. But I learned so much from watching late at night. And there used to be a time, like in the early stages of Monterey, like the first couple, the first Monterey, first couple of Monterey's and first couple of Capitals and Boogie by the Bay and, uh, first, 
couple of boogie by the bays where where you would go and the pros would kind of get left alone at two or three in the morning. I know this sounds so snobby and I don't mean it to, but like, so bear with me for a second. Like everybody would go in the back corner and everybody would watch. And I felt like I learned so much about how to social dance more than actually getting up and dancing with the people, with those people. And what I would do is I would ask Charlotte or Marianne or Michelle Kincaid or Kelly Casanova. Now, at that point, I was pretty good friends with Michelle, so I could ask her just like anytime I wanted to. Same thing with Kelly. Um, but uh, I, I would ask them like during the afternoon or earlier in the evening. You know what I mean? But once that vibe started, once those pros started to click in with each other, not only did I leave them alone, but I didn't leave the edge of the dance floor from watching them. And I felt like it, like it was, it was the greatest lesson, uh, uh, for vibe and feel and what it means to do this dance. And now, um, uh, now we don't ever get that. It's so funny. Everybody thinks all the pros dance with each other. We don't get to dance with each other very rarely. I, I've danced with Tatiana like twice in the last two years socially because, because we, we don't get to each other because we get asked to dance, you know, constantly. Um, by people who aren't our peers, and, which is fine. I get it. Like this sounds so. Like I said, I know this sounds snobby or whatever, but that's not my point. My point is is that people could actually learn a ton from us by watching us dance um, with each other, as opposed to never getting to see that. So the only time you get to see it now is in Jack and Jill's and Strictly Swing, which is so sad for me because the most magic dances I can think of watching when I was growing up happened at two in the morning when Wayne, you know, would grab Marianne Nunez and they'd be in the corner and we'd all just be watching or, you know, and like magic would happen, you know, nothing that's recorded, nothing on anybody's phone because, you know, the, the, the cord from the phone on the wall didn't record video. <laughs> so the, the, you know, you, you, you just, you just experienced it. It was like this thing you experienced and then you would go try to recreate it, but you would learn so much from that. And, that level of learning, it doesn't exist anymore because, because it's not allowed to exist anymore. Like if we did that, if we all danced in the back corner and decided we were just going to dance with each other, well, we would be crucified for doing that because we'd be snobs and we don't dance with the people. But then, but then a whole element of our dance is gone because of it too. Why do you think that shift happened? Um, why do I think that shift happened? You know, I, I, well, first of all, the thing that, that changed drastically is this wasn't something that people made a living doing. Hmm. So, so, um, you know, very few people made a living just doing West Coast Swing. Like most of the people, when I was coming up, uh, most people had other jobs. Wayne had another job. Charlotte had another job. Like, and if they were teaching, they weren't just teaching West Coast Learning. There were a few people, definitely. I'm not, I'm not saying that there weren't a few, but there were very few West Coast Swing only pros. Most people taught multiple dancers because right. in order to make a living, you had to teach multiple dancers. So you were either teaching ballroom, even if it was just social ballroom, you were teaching ballroom and you were teaching salsa and you were teaching hustle and you were teaching, um, uh, uh, you know, country dancing. You were like all of that stuff and West Coast Swing. Um, so, and, and almost nobody made a living on the circuit. So everybody made a living during the week in, in a studio and very little money was made on the circuit. So the circuit weekends were just as much social for the quote unquote pros 
that were at that event. As, as you know, our, our work week was during the week like everybody else. I was working in California Dance Center, people Redwood Ball Imperial Ballroom, Redwood. What's the is it Redwood Ballroom? What's that one? There. Is it Redwood? Don't I can't know. think of the one that uh, the one that Michelle Kincaid ran her dance up for so many years. It doesn't matter. Anyways, so the the so it started to become a money thing too, right? So all of a sudden it started to become big business. People started making money on the weekend. Now we have what are called circuit pros and we have local pros. And before that was never a thing. There was never a circuit pro. You couldn't make a living just being a circuit pro. And so um, the numbers started to grow. Circuit pros started to work the system. And working the system, you got to kind of dance with the patrons and all that. Like it became less of where it used to be on the weekends that was a little bit of our getaway too. Like it was just as much social for us. So we, we were never worried about offending people if we just danced with our own group, you know, because, uh, because we weren't making our living there and nobody was jumping on, you know, uh, Facebook and hammering us for not social dancing. So like the, the, the you know, social media and people making a living doing it, all of those things kind of, I think, uh, cultivated the change. Yeah, that's really interesting. I mean, I remember the days when I started, um, and that was back in the early 2000s. You know, exactly what you said, like we'd sit on the stage by the DJ booth and the pros would just dance for like two hours. Um, yeah. And I just feel like that that is a recurring theme in our scene right now is that, well, the pros aren't out social dancing. And then the counter argument is like, well, you don't really let them <laughs> like go out and social dance. Um, and there is sort of this both expectation and um, demand for their time. And so I, I lament, you know, not seeing pros out dancing with each other um, the way we used to for exactly what you said. Like, it's inspiring. It's amazing. Well, I'll tell you what was so interesting is at, at Trilogy Swing recently, they did a Legends thing. And so there was a bunch of us that were there and, and we were all dancing late at night. On Saturday, late night social dancing was just amazing for me at Trilogy. I had such a blast and I danced till four in the morning. But like I grabbed jessica cox and i was like we're going to do three well john lindo actually said you should do three in a row and i said all right we're going to do three in a row so i'm going to do three in a row and then as i walked out to the floor with jessica i said we're going to do three she goes fine and i said to patty bow by the way i'm doing three and then you and i are dancing and she goes okay and calice is right there and I said and you're after that she goes like i lined up my next five so that any because i knew the second i finished one with jessica i was going to get asked by three or four people and i just and so i just had i had the next five lined up you know and i and i got like five dances like you know back to back uh with my peer group and mm -hmm. because because i'm not on the clock and i just want to be social and i just want to have a good time i'm not being paid to be out there and and dancing and so i uh and oh it's just amazing but what's really cool is that um i walked off i go up and i'm at the dj booth and um two of my students walked up to me who both happen to be novice dancers and they were like, oh, my God, I just we were just watching. There was five of you, five couples that were all pros, like killing it to that last blues song. And it was just so amazing to watch. And I go, right. And they said, we don't ever see that because you guys don't ever come out. And I go, no, that's it. That's not the case. We right. would come out if we could do that. If we were left to do that, we would come out. And for the record, we would go ask you to dance, too. Like we really would, like even back in the day, we would, Lorene and I, we would dance with each other and I would dance with Deborah when she came onto the scene and we would dance with, like we would all dance with each other 
And, but then we would go ask, like we would get, we would understand that that, that that was supposed to be a short lived little thing that was going on, maybe an hour, maybe two. And then we would have either danced with lots of people before, or we then would dance with lots of people after. Like there was a natural kind of dissolve of that group. And then we would dance with everybody else too. You know what I mean? But now we're just afraid to go into the ballroom all in all because we don't get to ever dance with each other. And, and I feel like there's this misconception that we dance with each other all the time and we absolutely do not. Right. Right. That's true. So, you know, uh, Eric and I last week, um, were talking about our own journeys and how we struggle to find our place, um, in the dance community. So I'm curious to know how you found your place. Did you experience any challenges along the way? And what were your insecurities, <laughs> if you had any, overcome? <laughs> oh, God. Um, yeah, lots of challenges. Jeez. Uh, let me say, let me, let me kind of answer one at a time. Uh, so first of all, yes, I overcame a lot of challenges, but, um, before before that uh i kind of knew like i'm gonna steal a quote from a really good friend of mine named glenn hinkle who i think is super funny and fabulous and glenn says you know if you're gonna do the thing do the thing you know what i mean Mm -hmm. like don't don't half-ass anything if you're gonna do the thing do the thing and i've kind of always attacked things that way from martial arts Mm -hmm. to football to wrestling like all the different stuff i've done in my life um from an athletic standpoint and um so I went to my first South Bay 1988 uh, to watch a friend of mine named Bob Rainey, who was dancing with um, uh, Lori Bradshaw at the time, who ended up dancing with Toby for a while. It was Toby and Lori for a while. And now she's Lori Gilbert, I think, on Facebook. But anyway, Bob and Lori were dancing, and I went. Just I just went one night. That was it. 88, South Bay 89 was my first competition. But 88, I went just on Friday. And, um, but I saw these two guys named Dave Getty and Steve Zener. And I'd known Dave. Like I'd already, I'd already, I took my first lesson from Dave in 1986, uh, in Foster City. And so I knew who Dave was and I knew who Steve Zener was from like videos I'd seen of this guy announcing, you know. And so Steve was on the mic and Dave was the head judge and he was the event director. And, um, I said to Bob, we're going to be those guys. We're going to be those guys someday. We're not just going to be dancers. We're going to be those guys. Like either I'm going to be like the head judge guy, or I'm going to be the guy in the microphone, and you're going to be the guy in the microphone. And like we're going to be those those things. I'm, and, and you know what? I might be both of them because I'm I'm going to figure out every facet of this way to manifest. Right. Like I and Bob and I talk about it all the time. We're still friends to this day. We've been friends for well over 35 years, and so we um and we talk about it to this day. He, goes, he always says to me, "Remember that time we were standing in the back of the ballroom and you pointed at Dave and Steve, and you're like, we're going to be those." And, um, uh, so like, so I kind of already knew that I wanted to have a career, um, in this business pretty early on, even before Phil, I didn't know that I could or couldn't. Phil was the one who really showed me how to do it. Phil Adams. But, um, I quickly was like, okay, like, you know, once Phil showed me how to do it, I was like, that's it. And then I wanted to know every facet of it. So I wanted to MC, I wanted to teach, you know, I took every workshop I could. I, I remember at Capitol, the first or second Capitol, I forget, like Marianne didn't have a partner and she was like, whatever. And she grabs me out of the, cause I'm in the class with Lorraine and boom, there I am. So now I'm assisting Marianne, you know, and, 
And when Mario was traveling the circuit um, without anybody, Lorene would teach with him and I would take the class in rotation so I could see how Mario worked a class and see how Barry worked a class. And, you know, I would talk to Kenny Wetzel and ask all kinds of questions. And like, I was just like, all right, I'm, I'm either going to be a judge or I'm going to be an MC or I'm going to be a really great group class teacher. Like I'm, I'm going to find multiple avenues um, so that when I'm no longer a top champion, well, then maybe I can be an MC. When I'm no longer MC, maybe I can be a judge. When I'm no longer, you know, a great group class teacher, maybe I can be an event director or whatever. Like I just went, okay, I'm going to learn every facet of it and I'm going to go and talk to who the best is at every one of those facets. Uh, and I'm going to be around them and I'm going to put myself into situations where I can see how they work their job. And I did it like mad. And I'm sure I was annoying to lots of those people <laughs> along yeah, the way. When you are, and look at all you've accomplished because you were so ambitious, and you manifested right. all of that. Yeah, and 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 I I'm a big fan of like work ethic. Like nobody handed me anything, you know. Sure. And so I I worked. <clears throat> I did my homework. I did lots of homework, and um, you know I I studied. I studied videos. I took notes. You know when people talk to me about MCing, so I looked at the great MCs. So so I looked at. You know, Steve Zener, and I looked at Kenny Wetzel, and I looked at Mark Maxwell, and I looked at Scott Lindbergh, and I listened to Mario Robau, and Gary Long, and like, just, you know, and Sue Wagner, and like, I, I just was like, okay, like, what are the things I like about all of them? But then I went, okay, so now I'm going to do the same rule that I did with, you know, Barry Jones, Barry Duran, and Mario Robau, and I went, okay, so I'm going to, I'm going to look to, I bought the entire collection, because it was an online late night TV commercial, the entire collection of the Dean Martin Variety Show. And then I bought um, the best of Johnny Carson. And um, uh, so I was like, okay, well, I'm going to, and then I really loved uh, uh, Jerry Lewis. So my mom and I watching the Jerry Lewis telephone was always a thing we did every year. So, uh, and we had a couple taped. So I watched Jerry Lewis. I watched Dean Martin uh, host a variety show. I watched um, uh, Johnny Carson. Um, and then I listened to people in a, in a documentary about Johnny Carson, talk about him as a host. And, um, and then I uh, I watched a couple of um, uh, Frank Sinatra interviews and a couple of Frank Sinatra specials, and uh, and then some David Letterman stuff. And I, I I literally took notes and drew upon all of them. And in like my MC today, I could tell you the things that I do that are absolutely Carson, and the things that I do that are absolutely Dean Martin, and the things that I do that are absolutely Steve Zeno, and the things that I do that are Kenny Wetzel. You know, so um, it wasn't just like oh, hand me the mic, and then you know. I'll learn to do this. I took a, um, a how to use a microphone lesson from a gentleman named Dave Kaufman at the Saddle Rack in California, the old Saddle Rack. And he talked to me about how to work a crowd with a microphone. And he spent two hours with me uh, understanding the usage of a microphone. It was so instrumental for me. And so, like, then when it comes to judging, I, like, you know, worked with lots of judges where I would apprentice judge. I apprentice judged for three events and then I would run, I would go right to the head judge and go over all of my scores. They didn't have to chase me down. I went right to them. Hey, how did my scores match up with everybody else? And what do you think about this? And, you know, and I, so it's why I hold the new generation to such a high standard because I worked my ass off and I, nobody had to chase me down. I chased them down. So it sounds like you were really driven. Um, but also, it sounds like you were really confident. Did you ever have moments of self-doubt where you were like, maybe I'm not good enough for this? Or, um, you know, is it was it really just the mindset of, I'm just going to do this? Did you have those challenges that you faced and 
and moments of self-doubt? Listen, I still have self-doubt. I get terrified before every Jack and Jones circus swing. Um, I, I, I have this, um, I not only have, um, body dysmorphia, levels of body dysmorphia where like I will still see myself as a fat person, which Deborah, my dear friend constantly tells me you're not fat anymore. Although the words keep coming out of my mouth. Um, I also have this problem where sometimes I go like, Oh my God, they're going to, they're going to figure out that I'm not good at this. <laughs> like, like the world's going to figure out I'm not very good at this. Imposter um, syndrome. What's that? Imposter syndrome. Yeah. Imposter syndrome. Yeah. Brandy, Brandy Gild and I talk about all the time because Brandy has it too. Um, and, uh, uh, Brandy is like, Oh my God, I have imposter syndrome, Robert. Like I, and I go, I know, like, uh, you know, it doesn't matter how many different, you know, uh, it's not like I have the same panel of judges that gave me first in just one dance genre to say I'm good. And then I went into other dance genres and they said I sucked. I won lots of titles and lots of different dance genres. And then I went to the Broadway world and I auditioned and I got a Broadway show. So like, so I have multiple like external sources that say, Hey, you're pretty good at this, right? But from different genres, like not just one. So like, uh, I, so like logically I should say, okay, well, you know, you're pretty good at this, but yeah, I, I've really had to overcome, uh, lots of self doubt. You know what I mean? But isn't that how you stay good? Because you don't think we know all, we know it all. And we're always fantastic. That's what, how you stay amazing. You know, what's so don't funny. Is I just was, I was working with, I was working with a new, a new, um, up and coming, uh, dancer who I think is really talented. And, um, today I was on a, doing a Skype lesson right before you guys. And he said to me, like, can you, at the end of the lesson, he goes, I just want to know if there are a couple of qualities that you feel like um, would help me to someday become you um, or like you. And I said, it's easy. Work ethic. Work ethic is huge. And um, humility. Humility along the way, because then you'll never stop learning. And you have to find the right balance of coupling humility, right, with arrogance. because. And that was a hard one for me. I had a, I had a life coach named Bill Ireland in my early twenties and, um, and not a dancer at all. And he was like, you, you have to be humble and arrogant all at the same time. And that's really hard to do. But because you have to be, once you know something, you have to be comfortable with what you know and confident with what you know, all the while knowing you don't know enough. So you have to be humble to want to learn more. But as you know, be arrogant and confident with what you know, always piggybacking it with, with that you never know it all and that there's always more to know. And that was interesting for me. I mean, I know that sounds kind of deep and maybe even a little confusing, but uh, it really worked for me, you know, because you, you, so I'm confident in what I know and I'm confident that I don't know it all. And that I need to constantly stay humble in my learning process so that I can continue to learn more. Hmm. Fact. That's really interesting. It's interesting, too, that he said arrogance and not just confidence. I don't know. Maybe it's semantics. But arrogance to me is like usually pejorative, right? It's not a desirable trait, but confidence usually well, is. No, it's so funny. We were sitting at a Denny's and he said, I say arrogant and you twinge. And I go, yeah. He said, because people, he goes, I'm going to tell you right now, I want you to think of the word arrogance as just to mean to know. 
Mm-hmm. He goes, it's not what it means. Look it up. It doesn't say that. He goes, but I want you to think that. Arrogance mm-hmm. just means to know. He said, and the reason why is because you live in a competitive world. And so being confident will get you really far. Having a little edge of arrogance to that is going to be the thing that tips you over your competitors. He said, in a business world, confidence, and in a, in a business world that's not as competitive sports mindset oriented, I would use the word confident. But because this is a competition, I need you to, I need you to lean to arrogance. Yeah, that's really interesting. He said, what you never want to do is let your ego behind the wheel of your arrogance. Yeah, for sure. It was really interesting. Like, it was a big, like, you know, how do I, how do I balance that inside me? You know? Did it take you a while to find that balance? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think I found it yesterday. I don't know. But, um, (laughs) (laughs) is that the humble side or the arrogant side speaking? I mean, listen, listen, depending on who's listening to this podcast right now, um, lots of people will say, Oh my God, I've been around Robert. He's so humble. And lots of people will be like, that guy's an arrogant ass, you know, and, and you, you get that different side of me depending on what, what either you, you ask me for based on your actions and your words, you know, um, or, or based on what I think your needs are. Like, you know, when I, when I'm working with advanced all-star people, I mean, you've heard me bark, Eric, when I, when I'm, when I'm, when, when you want what I have and you won't work the same to get to where I am, then yeah, I become really arrogant and really, um, not humble and really not forgiving, um, in that moment. Because, but I because think my the team does that, Robert. Right. That's why it's so good. Yeah. Right. But like, if you walked up to me and said, Oh my God, your Jack and Joe was so great with Tran or whatever. The words that would come out of my mouth from from the bottom of my heart would be thank you so much. You would never hear me say, "Oh, I know." Right. You know, I, I said to a, another champion who was talking to me, and he was saying to me, uh, "You know, I need, I want your help because people don't get me." So he said to me, "People don't get me." And I said, well, what do you mean? And we started to talk about this, that, and the other. And I said, well, you know, there's, there's a couple of different ways that you can, you know, make a career. There's a few different ways, not a couple. There's a few different ways you can have a really successful career without a dance partner necessarily um, for class and showcase. You can be a really great strictly swing dancer. You can be a really great Jack and Jill dancer and a really great group class teacher. Like, if you do those three things, you can have a really successful career uh, in this dance world. And I said, and you're already an amazing Jack and Joe and Strictly Swing Dancer. And he said, I know. And I said, say that back to me. He said, say what? I said, say what you just said. What I just said to you, say it back to me. And he said, I don't understand what you're saying. I said, tell me I'm a great Jack and Joe dancer and Strictly Swing Dancer. He said, well, you are. I said, you're not getting me. Tell it to me. Say it to me. He said, okay, you're a great Jack and Joe and Strictly Swing Dancer. And I said, oh my God, thank you so much. And he just looked at me. I said, you don't get it. I said, you're a great Jack and Jill and Strictly Swing Dancer. And you said, I know. And that's what your students get from you. And that doesn't play well. That doesn't play well. Because it doesn't matter that I know I'm a great Jack and Jill and Strictly Swing Dancer. I'm humbled by your compliment. And I mean that. That's not some bullshit answer. Like, I mean it. Sorry if I'm swearing on your podcast. But, like, (laughs) I I mean it. When, When... 
when, when somebody says to me that they like watching my dance or my dance moves them, it moves me. And I, uh, so, so yeah, so depending on how you come at me is, is, depends on the, the humility that you get from me or the, or the arrogance that you'll get from me. Right. But at the same time, you know, I do believe in a highly competitive sport of any kind. There needs to be a little bit of arrogance or ego or that a slightly heightened level of confidence, you could say, um, to succeed in the long term. Okay. Yeah. It's just how you use it. That's the difference. Right. Exactly. Don't let your ego drive right. your arrogance or your arrogance drive your ego or whatever. However you want to say. Right. Yeah. So one of the questions we wanted to ask you um, is around, you know, what, what does influence this dance um, and who the primary influence is, primary influencers are um i i sort of think of like three buckets of people being really influential you have you know the champions who are at the top who who demonstrate what the dance is um judges who reward and incentivize certain dancing you know sort of directing the dance a certain way and then teachers who of course instruct people as to what they should be doing and, and some some people occupy all three roles sometimes they're separate um i'm curious if you would agree with those general three buckets. Um, uh, and if you do, do you think these influencers are really currently fulfilling their obligation responsibly? Hmm. So I, I agree with the three buckets. I think that's interesting um, to put it like that. Uh, you're a smart dude. Um, <laughs> I, like, I like you so much. Listen, everybody listening to this, if you've never had a conversation like sat down and had a conversation with Eric. You should have a conversation with Eric. He's really smart. Um, Deborah and I both yeah. love him. Yeah, no, yeah. super special, special guy. Um, mm-hmm. so yeah, no, I think, I think, um, okay, I, I would say yes, that those two buckets are valid. I think there might be another bucket called YouTube. Um, mm. but sadly, um, well, I shouldn't say sadly, both on an amazing level and on a not so amazing level have influenced this dance. Um, you know, uh, the, the music is the big, like, kind of non, uh, non-thinking entity, <laughs> right? right? Like the music doesn't, music doesn't put itself into our dance or take itself out of our dance. We do that. Well, we could say so, DJs then, right? Cause they're the ones choosing the music. Right. 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 So, but like, I, I do think that the champions, uh, influence it, of course. I do think that the judging influences it a lot. Um, and I, I, the judging. Hmm. Wow. Hey, um, this is the naked yeah. truth. Spit it out. Right. <laughs> so the, the naked truth is that I don't think that the judging is doing the right job in influencing our dance. Right. Um, like I, I think we as an audience, um, let me say this. If I'm, if I'm watching the Olympics and somebody's doing a high dive, I always use high diving analogies. <laughs> I don't know why, but I do. So, uh, so somebody jumps off the high dive and let's say they slip as they're jumping off the high dive and their flips and their turns in the air get really askew because of it. Right. But they end up going in the water clean. Right. The audience mm-hmm. will go nuts. The people will go right. nuts that they saved, that they saved it, that they didn't belly flop as they went in the water. They won't win. They won't win. They, the save, the save 
to that level can be appreciated by everybody watching because it's because like wow they saved that that's amazing that they saved that but but they're not going to stand on the podium and yeah. we've we've gotten to this point where where we're rewarding the saves more than we're rewarding uh the really amazing dancing straight through you know, and some people will say, well, the saves are happening because people are taking higher risks. People are taking higher risks, so more of the almost train wrecks are happening because of the higher risks, and then the, then the saves come from that, and that's what's so amazing about that. And I say, you know what? Practice your higher risk stuff on the social dance floor, so when you bring that to the table, your flips look good, and you go into the water clean, and then you stand on the podium. Amen. So, Great. so yeah. So for me, like, that's just an excuse to that you don't have to work other than when that train wreck's happening. And, uh, so when I watch, when I watch, um, more and more, what, what'll happen is that the, the, the almost, you know, craziness will happen and, and we'll, and we'll all appreciate it. I'm, I'm happy to stand up and cheer for a, you know, somebody almost, you know, two people start to fall backwards. And all of a sudden, you know, they're sugar pushing on beat. Like, where the hell that come from? You know, and you just go like, holy cow, that was an amazing save. I'm happy to stand for that because I appreciate um, the, oh, my God, that almost got, that almost went bad and didn't. But the almost went bad and didn't shouldn't win dance contests. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the, the almost went bad. You know, the woman who wobbles on the balance beam but doesn't fall off doesn't get perfect tens. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I, 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 so I feel like, but I feel like judges, um, the dance has gotten um, uh, complex, really complex. I feel like there's lots of intricacies going on in um, uh, arm work and wrap work that's different than it has been in the past. We, we're not as footwork oriented as we used to be. And, um, and I feel like lots of the judges aren't really up to par on all of that and what that takes and what it is and how it looks good. And so, um, yeah, so lots of that stuff's being rewarded and it shouldn't be. So I don't think the judges, um, are doing us a service by rewarding so much the mistakes. So what about the influenced by audience reaction? Do you think that that influences them? Well, not just the audience reaction. I think, you know, I think so we're all sitting back there. Like, so this happens, this is not just champions, by the way. Like, I see right. this in advanced, I see it in all-star, so I'm not just picking on champions. Like, uh, as a matter of fact, the two contests that come into mind where the train works were rewarded weren't champion divisions, they were all-star divisions. And right. the, the, the last two that just popped into my head and and I can think of an advanced one, and I can think of as I'm sitting here now a number of champion ones too. But like where where when I say we, I mean the the people that are sitting up there for the finals. So be it the advanced dancers or be it the you know we as the finalists are sitting up there. We see it happen, and we leap to our feet out of appreciation for the save, mm-hmm. right? And and so they see us do it, and then the audience goes nuts. And now if it's champions doing it, so like. If people see, you know, me and Deborah and Brandy or Benji, like, leap to our feet, like, oh, my God, that was amazing. 
you know, some of the judges that are judging us aren't champions. Some of the judges that are judging us have never been champions. And that's okay, by the way. Great judges don't have to be champions. You can be a great judge and have never been a champion. But they're saying, and they go, oh, well, like, if they don't understand what they just saw, then I go, well, well, they, they know what they just saw and they're cheering for it. So that must have been good. And I'm a person and it made me smile and laugh or feel good. So now I'm going to reward it. And, um, uh, I think we have to, I think we have to do more to train our judges, um, to be, to be immune to some of that, you know, and God, I know I'm pissing some people off right now and I hate that because. Listen, this is, again, I'm going to remind you, Robert Royston, this is called the naked truth. That's what we're here for. No, listen, then. No, I, I, I get it completely because I have great respect for all of those people. And I think that none of this is, you know, for me, being wrong is knowing what's right and choosing not to do it, right? Oh. I've been wrong plenty of times in my life where I've known the right road to take and then I didn't take it. So um, n- none of the judges that I'm talking about do any of this maliciously and none of them do it any, none of them do it with the intention of doing it wrong. It just ends up sending the wrong message badly. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, what do you think of the argument then that, um, you know, it's it's relative, right? So you're saying, okay, the person who wobbles on the balance beam is not going to get a perfect 10. Well, what if everybody is wobbling a little bit somewhere in the routine, right. right? And some people don't save it and others do, then the people who do save it had a quote unquote better dance, right? And so yeah. that's just like the best of what's out there. But it's still getting put up on the podium. Right, right, right. Well, that's, that's a different beast. If everybody is not having a great dance, well, then the best of the not great dances is going to win, of course. Right. But I, I but think the, the challenge is, is that's still setting the bar, right? Because people then like, oh, well, they won. That must be good dancing. <laughs> right? right? I mean, I'm not exactly. talking about like high-level dancers. I'm talking about the masses who maybe no, don't sure. know the difference yeah. yet. Right. Right, right, right. No, it's, I mean, we're, we're never going to be like ballroom, you know, like in some of the ballroom programs, you can have three couples and you can come in fifth place because mm-hmm. you're judged on a, on a scale. Like, so judges can be like, I don't care that you're the only person. You're not good enough to be first place. Correct. <laughs> so, so you can get a second place. Well, why you don't know? we do that? Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> why don't we? Why don't we let people know, like, they were the best of the bunch and they came in third? Right, so so we, we place third, fourth, and fifth, and there's twelve couples in the finals. That's awesome. Um, so, like, yeah, it it would take something like that. Um, but you know, the, you know, it, it's true because it, it does get. And then, oh my God, we have to stop the Facebook petting. You know, where bad dancers yes. get put on Facebook, and a hundred people go. Oh my God, yes. Is it amazing? Yeah. It, is it? Is it really? Is like? Is it really? <laughs> like I've had people. I've had people that have come up to me and like, oh my god, I saw that dance with you and so and so, and it was amazing. And I'm like, is it? Mm, I don't think so. Like, I, you know, like I have much better dances on Facebook than that one. You know what I mean? Like, like I know it's not great. You know, I appreciate you saying it to me, but you're lying to me. You know, because so, so the, but there's lots of that. You know, people. Uh, um, uh, the, oh my God, I love this dance. And I'm guilty of putting dances. I put, yeah, I just put a dance today with me and Sarah Van Drake in 2006 on Facebook. And, oh, I love um, that dance. And, I watched it today. Right. Like, so, and, and, and I was like, you know, this, but you know, I watch it and I go, Oh, look at my free arm. And God, I was late in that break. And, you know, like, <laughs> um, so the, the, uh, I think that we're never going to get to the point where, where the, where, where we're never going to have train wrecks winning, we're going to always have train wrecks winning mm-hmm. because sometimes everybody's a train wreck. Sometimes it's just bad. And, 
you know, uh, but what we shouldn't do is glorify the train wreck, and we tend to do that. And um, uh, that bothers me a little bit. So, by the way, just because somebody wins doesn't mean it's a great dance. It just means it's the best dance. Just like if we get a Jack and Jill of a bunch of really crappy songs, somebody's going to win. And somebody's going to win with a crappy song. And so then people are like, people go, people play a crappy song. DJs will play a crappy song. And I'll be like, oh, God, this song sucks. And they'll be like, well, so-and-so won with it. Right. In a field of crappy songs. So like, right. you know, when they're like, oh, my God, we're going to go back and pick all the winning songs. Then you guys can't complain because they've all been winning songs. No, that's not true. We can all still complain because there's lots of years where every song was bad. So somebody right. has to win. So somebody's winning with a bad song. And because they won, you're now going to say it was a good song. It wasn't a good song when they won. So like good songs are good songs, but bad songs are bad songs. And sometimes bad songs are going to win. <laughs> to your point, everybody like, and it's part of the nature of social media, right? Like everything has to be positive and wonderful. Um, but I guess like what, What's going to be the dissenting opinion? Who's going to say, you know what, actually, I don't think that dance was great. And then <laughs> risk getting like mobbed, you know, a mob with pitchforks coming after them saying like, why are you hating on them? You know, there is just no space to, other than private conversations, um, to be honest about those kind of things. I mean, I guess it's is one thing true? if the person dancing it says, you know, like you were saying, I don't think that was a great dance or I didn't, I didn't feel good about it. Uh, but then even then, if you say that, how's your partner going to feel? Right. Like, it's hard to i agree that there's a lot of putting not great dances up on pedestals i just wonder you know how do you how do we stop that trend i don't think there's a way to do it in a way that isn't um going to offend or be you know cast aside now, this is a dance competition aren't we meant to like do the right thing or is it about like you know making sure that we don't offend anybody i don't know robert you tell me well, here, okay, so here's the thing. Let me say this. So it, it, what I was saying is the Facebook petting, the petting right. of the other people. So mm -hmm. like I, anybody should be able to put up any dance that they want to put up of themselves or other dances of people that have inspired it. I've walked up to people who have commented on dances I believe to be bad that where the person goes, oh, my God, thank you so much for this. Like I was in this final, the spotlight and. And look at how great it was and blah, blah, blah. And then, and then all these people comment. And then like somebody will comment who I know knows better that this dance wasn't great. And I'll see them in an event. I'll be like, Hey, I saw you commented on so-and-so's dance. Like you really thought that was a great dance. And they go, no, but everybody was commenting. Well, but you didn't have to comment. Like right. why did you, why did you, like, and you, and, and why comment with a, what a great dance? Comment with a smiley face. Comment like why comment at all? Like you will not see me pet a bad dance on Facebook mm -hmm. because it just perpetuates the problem. Let everybody compose. That's fine. You know, like I have this um, this dance with Jessica Cox that I want to post on Facebook in a few days that I found that I hadn't seen in a long time, and the ending of it's just bad. <laughs> the last, the last, the last ten seconds of it, fifteen seconds of it's bad. We had a great dance. We won. The last ten seconds is bad. It's not like we didn't have a big train wreck. It's just bad. Like there's like a little, a full on like visible hiccup. Luckily, we had like enough great moments <laughs> leading up to it. But I thought, God, if I post this, I have to put in the description, except for the hitting her in the head and the end. Of, like I have to qualify that I know I hit her in the back of the head. Like at the end of the, at the end of the dance, like I love the dance so much, except for that ten seconds. But I I feel the need to qualify. Hey, people, just so you know, 
I know I hit her in the back of the head. So if any of you come up on this and say this dance was perfect, you're lying because it's not. And it's obvious when I hit her in the back of the head. You know, like, but did you do it on time? Were you pulsing? I mean, these are important questions. Were you hitting a phrase right. change? Right, 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 right. It was, it was right on the one. But Perfect. I hit her back in the head. We kind of get off time, and then we both like jump up and down and land on the one. Like, hey, we're back. Like, it's so obvious, right? But um, uh, but I was like, God, I gotta quantify this one uh, or qualify this one, whatever the word I'm looking for. Like, I just I have to be able to say, look, I know it, I see it. Almost none of you are going to want to comment on it, but I need to comment on it because I know that it's there. You know, right, yeah, um, yeah. So you know, listen, where I feel like I'm being like kind of bitchy right now, and I don't mean to be, but no, at the same good. time, at, at the same time, like I feel like we should be, um, we should be uh, praising the great dances. We should be encouraging the people that don't have great dances to get better, right? So, um, but uh, but I don't think we should just pet every dance that goes up on Facebook as being the you know, the, the, you know, the next Johnny be good. Like, it's just not, you know, yeah. like, so just, Robert, oh, I'll tell you this. Do you, do you want the things that ruined our dance? Standing ovations. Yeah. Can we stop, please? Can we stop? I'm putting it out there right now. I'm putting it out there and yeah. nobody's going to listen to me. Nobody's going to listen to me. But there was a time, there was a time when you sat up there it. for the, for, when you, when you, you sat up there for the final and you stood when it was a standing ovation deserved. You didn't stand right. up to every dance. Like, I remember Mario and I and Barry Jones are like, why are people standing? Like, where are we standing for? Like, there was a time when you'd go like, oh my God, the finals of, the finals of San Diego got six standing ovations. Yeah, there was 12 final couples, but six earned standing ovations. Like, now we just stand at the end of everything. Like, don't stand at the the end of every one of my dances. Not every one of my dances deserves the standing ovation. So like, right. uh, 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 you know, like, let's, like, uh, I used to love it. We would sit there when, when, when I would leap out of my feet to, to clap for like this amazing dance that had happened out there, you know, whatever it might be. You know what I mean? When Benji and Deborah do, do Call Me Maybe at Swing Diego. Now I was on yeah. the mic, so it's a different, that's a different beast. But when they finished, like, I, I, I'm leaping up and down like a freaking madman because it was so good, right? But then you have, another dance that goes out there, you know, and it's fine. There's good quality of movement. The professional dancers, that's fine. But it's not what just happened. But why are we all standing up as if it was the same? It's not. And, um, and I Do wish you think that, that it's the dance of the, or, or just where we are in society in general, where, you know, kids go to soccer oh. and everybody gets a medal and all right, of that. Right. So I think it's, so leading, keeping that not in mind. Kids. My, if my yeah, kids are losing, they're know. losing. But, but <laughs> my, kids, my kids, if my kids are losing, they are losing. There's no, no gimmies right. in my house. <laughs> yeah, that's good though. But thinking about like where the dance has been, right? Like, like where do you see it going and what are you excited about? And, and like, what are you worried about? Okay. Well, I'm super excited about, um, what I believe to be this new wave of, of lots of, all-stars and young champions um, seeking more, more uh, lessons. Like I'm seeing more and more, you know, the all-star tracks packed with dancers. Um, the late night all-star lessons are packed with people. I see them more and more um, taking coaching um, from, from uh, uh, other pros. So like, I, I love that. I love that very, very much. I see, 
Um, I don't know that they do the work outside of the dance weekend that I would like them to do, but, mm-hmm. but at least while, but at least while they're there, they're, they're, they're super present. I think more than before. I would say if you go back four or five years, I don't think that the, that the, that the all-stars had the drive that they currently have. Um, I, I also feel like there's this real turn in the dance. Um, you know, Brandy always says we're, we're an, oh God, I'm not going to quote this right, but I'm going to paraphrase. <laughs> so Brandy talks basically that we get very enthusiastic about certain things like, like, you know, there's hustle and all of a sudden, poof, we have swustle, right? There's salsa and poof, we have swalsa. And then we have, you know, swango and there was Argentine tango and now we have zwoop, you know, right? <laughs> like, like, so, uh, uh, you know, um, uh, good thing we didn't really ever get into bachata, what we call it, swachata. So, um, <laughs> the, 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 you know, we yeah. just, get, but then we, but we tend to over, we tend to, um, we tend to oversteer, but we tend to self-correct pretty good. And right mm-hmm. now, what I'm really excited about is I think there's lots of really young dancers who are eager to learn more um, about what the legends did, and that excites right. me so much. Like, and so I, I, you know, as as negative I feel like we've just been talking for some of this stuff for the last hour or whatever. I am excited about um, about where I feel like some of it's going. Uh, I feel like we kind of like really like went a little nutso on the tropical house music, and I feel like that's kind of tapering off a little bit, which is mm-hmm. great. Um, uh, you know, the tropical house music is what most people call samba, even though it's not mm-hmm. samba, but that's, an, that's for another time. And um, so, uh, like, I love that. I love the idea that I feel like people are wanting to, you know, talk to Carlito more. People are wanting to watch yes. Charlotte dance. People are wanting to watch the old videos. People are wanting to, you know, sit there and watch the Legends competition that happened at Trilogy and like, I love, love, love that. And, you know, you, you see people that are like, who's, who is this Lorene Baldovi girl? You know, um, and, uh, it's been amazing to see them, you know, uh, eager to watch so many of the legends, um, dance and watch these videos and then take their class. So I love that. I love that more people are dancing to blues, um, than before and jazz than before. I love that things like Tori and Maxine do that dance to Frank Sinatra and it gets 300,000 views. You know, mm-hmm. I, I think all that stuff is super exciting and I love where that's going. And, um, so, you know, I, I, I put it to the next generation to do the work that the generation past from the past did. And I put it to the next generation to, to honor us. And now when I say us, I mean the dance, honor the dance. You know what I mean? Don't forget it. Push, push, push its limits all you want, but don't forget it. You know, and so, um, and I think that, I think that. Go ahead. I was just gonna say on that point because um, I was just having a conversation about this with somebody the other day, and um, I'll give a shout out to you and Brandy doing Wine Coast Swing because you talked about this on one of those episodes, which is like what the elements of West Coast Swing are. And I'm curious to hear your opinion on on exactly what you just said. Where is the balance between pushing the dance? And keeping a West Coast swing. Like, at what point are you no longer doing West Coast? And I know that's like a blurry line, but I'm just curious to hear your perspective on how you see that balance between honoring the past and continuing to push the dance in the future. Well, so, like I said in Wine Coast Swing, right? Like, so, uh, Madame Lamaret, who was one of the foremost authorities in, um, in ethnic dancing, uh, at one point in time, she, she died in 1988. But 
um, she was really seen as one of the foremost authorities of ethnic dancing. And she said, you know, to deviate, to deviate from, from a dance, you must first know well that dance. So to deviate from its origin, you must first know well its origin. So what needs to happen first and foremost, right? Otherwise, otherwise what happens is you have people who don't really know the origin of it. They, they learn whatever the current contemporary version of it is, mm-hmm. and then they push the boundaries from that place. And so what needs to happen right now, in my opinion, this is all just my opinion, but what needs to happen is that people need to really know West Coast Swing. Really, and honestly, know Lindy Hop. Like, know swing, know swing dancing, know what Lindy Hop is, know what Carolina Shag is, know what North Dallas Push is, know what Houston Whip is, know what West Coast Swing is. Like, know what these what, what kind of the, the heart of like the five or five, you know, four or five primary sources of swing that we draw from, know what they are and know them well and own them before you start to mess with them. Because then when you start to mess with them, part of that will go with every transition that you start to make. But if you don't own them, like if you come from salsa or you come from zook, and you learn just enough West Coast Swing to get to advanced. So, you know, just enough West Coast Swing, you know, you're, you're a professional dancer. And you know lots of great quality of movement. And the judges are, are rewarding you for that. But you've not taken the time to understand the origin and who and what we are as a dance. You can't really own these triple steps. You can't describe the pushes and passes and whips and their varieties of it. Like you can't do those things like the back of your hand to five different speeds of music, right? Show me the five different primary triple steps that exist in swing dancing and like to do those things, right? So you don't learn those things, but you learn walk, walk, triple, triple, and then a bunch of other stuff from your dance sport. And because you're a good professional dancer, judges go, wow, wow, wow. And now you're an all-star or advanced. Right. And now you're teaching and you're trying to push the limits, but you didn't take the time to understand the origin of where we came from. Now we're going to start to become this hollow shell of something else that will die, that, that will die as the, as the trends move. Instead of understanding that there's a reason why we even let your dance style come into us, because the solid foundation of the origin of our dance exists you know, on such an eclectic level. So, you know, we, we, we have to encourage the new dancers, um, to, to just own who we are at the core of who we are before we start to push the boundaries. Because then you can push the boundaries. You can push the boundaries when you understand the foundation. Right. And keeping those same elements of swing. Um, right. Well, you, you, you'll, you'll, if you really own this dance, if you really know this dance, you won't want to get rid of all the elements. Right. You, you, you almost couldn't. You know what I'm saying? You, it, yeah. it would feel wrong. It would feel wrong to you to do it. The reason why it feels okay for people to do it now, some people, is because they, it doesn't live and breathe in them. They don't own it enough to understand when they've walked away from it. Right. Right. Yeah. It's funny. I don't, I was having this conversation, um, where I was like, I don't know if people who have been doing the dance longer, have a conception of the dance that's older that they're holding on to, or if you've done it longer, you know the dance better and you understand it better. And so you become, I don't want to say conservative in your view, because I don't think you have to be conservative, but you like 
want to hold on to those elements more, right? There's something about knowing the dance more that makes you want to hold on to them more. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I think that the, the more you know, that, you know, like I just said to somebody tonight, you know, the problem is, like, we, we didn't choreograph our routines and go, oh, well, where, where, where can we put the swing in here? You know, like, you know, let, let's, let's put the swing in here. You know, let's, let's find, let's find ways to put, to put the swing in because, because we have to do X amount of swing. So we're dancing. This feels so good. This feels so good. And this is so artistic. And oh, wait, wait, we're forgetting the triple steps. We should add some triple steps because we didn't feel that because we didn't go like, oh, well, swing can't deliver the emotion. West Coast swing can't deliver the emotion. So we're going to do all this other dancing that delivers the emotion. And then we're just going to throw the swing in as the secondary thing. Right. Swing was the vehicle that delivered the emotion. So, yeah. and all the other stuff, all the other stuff was icing on the cake. Like, it's a little like, you know, the, the rule is you have, you have, you have to make a cake. You have to make a wedding cake. And the only requirement is you have to have 10, 10 flowers on it. So you make the cake and the icing and everything else, and then you just throw the ten flowers on it. Like so, we think West Coast Swing is just like that, that, that the extra little fluff that you put in there. Well, mm. West Coast Swing should be the science that goes into baking the cake. West Coast Swing is the cake. That's the thing that somebody tastes and loves. Yeah, because lots of people are happy to not eat the flour. Right, and 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 I so back in back in my day. Right. West Coast Swing was the, was the vehicle that delivered the emotion. Now I feel like people choreograph the emotion with movement and stuff and then try to just find ways to throw in the obligatory triple step. Right. And that's because they don't understand the power of the dance enough. And if they understood the power of the dance more, they wouldn't be searching for ways to just pepper in something because it's a need for the judges. Yeah, that's true. So thinking about um, your whole journey, you've been doing this dance now for 30-ish years <laughs> and still going. About, about 31, right? About 31. Yeah, right? since you were five. And um, so I'm wondering, uh, what do you have any unrealized aspirations or the things you want to achieve? What's, what's next for you? Well, it's next for me. Um, so... Uh, so I look to I, I I look to a gentleman who I I look up to very much, um, named Eric Franklin, and uh, um, he he wrote a book called Dynamic Alignment Through Imagery. He wrote many books, but that's one of like lots of dance prose bibles. So mm -hmm. it started for me it started for me with Mabel Todd in a book called The Thinking Body um, that she wrote, I believe, in 1939. And then from there with Lulu Swigard with a book called Human Movement Potential and its Ideokinetic Facilitation. And then from there, um, to Irene Dowd and Taking Root to Fly. Um, and then, um, and in that same line would be somebody like Ruth Vermey. And then, uh, who wrote, uh, Thinking and Feeling Latin Dance. I might have been misquoting that, but, um, and then, uh, uh and then Eric Franklin. And then along the way, you know, chiropractic and Alexander Technique and Feldenkrais Christen. What Eric Franklin did is he kind of filtered, he did a lot of research on a lot of different, like, kind of movement modalities, and he filtered them into, you know, um, dynamic alignment through imagery. And 
so he talks about Mabel Todd and Louis Schweiger. He talks about all those people that I just mentioned. And, um, uh, and like kind of, and then he has some of his own concepts, right, in there. And so for me, I feel like I've spent 33 years dancing, 31 or 30, 30 or 31 doing what's swing, but 33 years of dancing and I do lots of different styles and I've competed in lots of different genres and, and I've unlearned and relearned how to dance many, many times. Um, and, uh, I feel like, uh, I would like to do that same level of filtering that Eric Franklin did for things like ideokinesiology for, um, lead follow and couples dancing. Hmm. Um, uh, so I'm currently working on, um, I have right now, I just have like the seven page document that has like, like kind of one and two liners of kind of my concepts and my words and other people's concepts and words. Um, I always credit them, of course. And, um, and, but that kind of lays the foundation for, um, for what I believe to be a core set of, of, of concepts for how one body moves another body. Um, and with these follow being, Right. So I would love to leave my lineage being that I was one of those people that was around long enough to be able to filter lots of different opinions um, and lots of different, you know, things, you know, to learn a technique. I just got this from, I was talking to Maria Ford about this, but, you know, to, to learn a technique, to know a technique is to know a technique, right? To know a concept, to really know a concept is to know thousands of techniques. Mm-hmm. And, and so for me, you know, I, I, for me, I have concepts. So like outward tonal energy and center counter points and, you know, like I, I, I talk about lots of and resistant release and like these are all kind of like words that I use, but they're all under like certain concepts. So, you know, it's not like one, none of, they're not all standalone techniques, right? They're all under like, so there's the concepts that, that, that deal with just how your body moves and what your body does. And then there's the concepts. On how one body moves another body, depending on whether you're doing single axis or double axis dancing and how all that comes into play. So I'm super excited about the idea of fishing through that. Um, so I'll send you both my document, by the way. You guys can read through yes, it. Yes, do what you think. Please do. Um, and we'll also yeah. on our website, we can post, um, I actually have Eric Franklin's book myself. RJ recommended it years and years ago to me. Um, but we can post some of those links too for our listeners to look at some of the authors in the book that you just mentioned. Right. 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 No, for sure. Like it's, uh, um, so anyway, so I, I would like to do that, you know, and, um, and I, I'm, I've been a member of the International Association of Dance Medicine and Science since 2005, um, which is an amazing organization and I get their, you know, monthly newsletters and, and, um, I've had, um, great conversations with people like Dr. David Weiss, who's head of osteopathic medicine at NYU, who was president of the IADMS for a while. And, um, so like, uh, filtering, filtering, and, and the whole premise of the IADMS is, is getting teachers to teach dance in a way that promotes longevity for dancers, right? And, um, and I, I feel like I'm, uh, obviously I worked for longevity, <laughs> you know, uh, as I'm still out there doing my thing whenever I've given the opportunity. So, um, yeah, so that, that's, that's the next thing for me, I think. I like to teach teachers. I like to train. Um, I like to train the next generation and influence and hopefully mentor in a positive way the next generation. 
and at the same time, I'd like to still kick the next generation's ass as soon as they come and sit next to me and chat and chill and Right. So <laughs> tough love, tough love mentoring. <laughs> Listen, I mean it. And you know, Brad Whelan said to me one time, "I think you actually get really happy when you lose to people you've coached." And I go, "Of course I do." Yeah. And he goes, "Like you really do?" I go, "Yeah." If I'm a really, if I'm a true master. I sit from a place, I hope my students pass, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I, I want my kids bigger, stronger, faster, smarter, more successful than me, hands down. If I do my job right, you pass me. And um, so, yeah, like, uh, but but until they work as hard as I work, I'm happy to sit up there and be the best. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. So, anyways, like, uh, my, next, next for me, I think, is, I think I'm at that stage in my dance life where, um, I should start to document all of the the training that I've had, and um, I should sorry I should start to document all the training that I've had. I should start to pay attention to, um, you know, uh, maybe my lineage as a teacher. Yeah, legacy. Legacy. Thank you so much. It's I know we've been taking your time, but um, it's been awesome having you on the show and getting to talk to you about some of these topics. Um, and of course, as our first guest. Well, I love that. And thank you so much. And as I put the challenge out there for work ethic, it's 12, it's 1220 right now. Right? <laughs> it's, it's 20 after midnight at six o'clock in the morning. I'm getting up for an hour um, workout session. I'll get up at five thirty to work out from six to seven. And then I'll come home. I'll do uh, all sorts of laundry, and then I have a student that I drive to um, because she uh, had some problems with some illness, so she really doesn't travel very well, so I go to her, and I'll work, but I'm going to teach a, a nine-hour day of private lessons tomorrow, um, uh, and in between that, go to my son's cross-country meet. So I put it to all the young dancers out there, get your asses up at 6 o'clock in the morning, get to the gym, and work until 11 o'clock at night, because that's what I'm going to do tomorrow. Robert, you're definitely an inspiration to um, many people, myself um, included. So thank you for being here this evening. Um, and listeners can find Robert through his website, which is robertroyston.net, as well as on Facebook and Instagram at Robert Royston and Twitter at Robert Royston and YouTube. You should also check out his blog, 43andfatfree.com, where he shares tips and advice for greater fitness and wellness. You can find Deborah and me online at the naked truth WCS.com, as well as on Facebook, Twitter, where our handle is at naked truth WCS, and on Instagram, where our handle is at the naked truth WCS. You can like us, follow us, and share us, and you can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and a number of other podcast hosting platforms. If you enjoyed this episode, please take a moment to leave us a review on Facebook and rate us and give us a review over on iTunes. Thank you so much for joining us. My name is Eric. And I'm Deborah. And that's The Naked Truth. I love you both so much. I just want to put that on. I want this recording. I'll record it that I love you both so much. Okay. <laughs> we'll keep that part in. <laughs>